Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hi there and welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Fellman. And I'd like to welcome you to another installment of our exploration into all things aquatic. Um, today is sort of a one of those broad-reaching topics, something that I've always been uh, fascinated with and something that I think you've seen in my writing and our discussions uh, both here and on social media is becoming a sort of overriding theme of um, what we do in the aquatic um, botanical world or the world of tannin aquatics anyway. And it sort of looks at the big picture relationship between land and water. Now, if there's one constant lesson in what we do, it's that land and water are inexorably linked together. And I think that when we contemplate the dynamic of how water and the aquatic environment interact, it makes us look at aquatic habitats and our aquariums a little bit differently. And it all starts with rain. And I like rain. Yeah, rain is cool. So it goes without saying that one of the most essential and life-giving processes on our planet is weather, and one of the most important components of weather is, of course, rain. Rain is truly the bearer of life. It's transformational, it's essential for our existence, and for the continued existence of many of the fishes that we love, as well as the habitats from which they come. And specifically what interests me about rain is that dynamic about what happens when it rains in the wild habitats of our fishes. How do these habitats change with the coming and going of the rains? What happens to fishes during the rainy season? I know smartass are going to say they get wet. <laughs> so that's, that's one thing I'm sure. But consider what happens in the rainy season and say eh, the Amazon basin. What would that be, Scott? Glad you asked. It would be a lot of things, actually. The wet season in the Amazon typically runs November to June, and it rains almost every day. And what's really interesting to me is that the surrounding Amazon rainforest is estimated by some scientists to create, I think it's as much as 50% of its own precipitation. So think about that for a moment. And interestingly, it does this via the humidity present in the forest itself from the water vapor that's present on the plant leaves, which contributes to the formation of rain clouds. Yeah, the trees in the Amazon release enough moisture through photosynthesis to create low-level clouds and literally generate rain, according to a recent study published in the Proceedings of the United States National Academy of Sciences. That's crazy, but it makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, that there's a lot of water in this environment, and it's yet another reason why we need to protect these precious habitats. You cut down a tree in the Amazon, you're literally reducing the amount of rain that can be produced. It's that simple. That's really important. It's more than just cool, you know, cocktail party conversation. Uh, So if you ask yourself, what happens to the aquatic environment in which our fishes live when it rains? What does the rain actually do? Well, for one thing, it performs the dual function of diluting organics while transporting more nutrient, more materials across the ecosystem. So what happens in many of the regions of Amazonia, for example, is that the evolution of most of our most compelling ecological niches takes place. The water levels in the rivers rise significantly, often several meters, and and once the dry forest floor fills with water from that torrential rain and overflowing rivers and streams, 
the agapos are formed, flooded forest floors. Now, the formerly terrestrial environment is now transformed into this, like, earthy, twisted, incredibly rich aquatic habitat, which fishes have evolved over eons to live in and utilize for food, for protection, and for spawning purposes. All of the botanical material, shrubs, grasses, fallen leaves, branches, seed pods, and such, is suddenly submerged. Often, the currents redistribute these leaves and seed pods and branches into little pockets and little stands of material, and that affects the, now underwater, topography of the landscape leaves start to accumulate. Soils dissolve their chemical constituents, so tannins and humic acids are released into the water, enriching it. And then, of course, fungi and microorganisms act to feed upon and break down the materials. Biofilms form, crustaceans multiply rapidly, fishes are able to find new food sources, new hiding places, new spawning areas. Life flourishes. So yeah, the rains have a huge impact on tropical aquatic ecosystems. And I think it's important to think uh, of the relationship between the terrestrial habitat and the aquatic one when we visualize the possibilities of replicating nature in our own aquariums in this context. It's an intimate, interrelated, sort of codependent arrangement. And I think we can work with this stuff to our fish's advantages in the aquarium. We've talked about the idea of flooding an aquarium setup designed to replicate the Amazon forest before. You know, sort of attempting to simulate some of the processes which happen seasonally in nature. With the technology, the materials, and the information available to us today, the, the capability of creating a true year-round habitat simulation in the confines of your own aquarium or vivarium has never been more attainable. Time to play with this concept is now. You've probably seen us playing with some of these crazy ideas uh, in our little office, um, we've been testing the idea for a long time and formulating some things like soils, which attempt to replicate some of those attributes of, of the soils that are found in nature during the dry season. And when you flood them, you get an effect that's similar to what happens in the agapo. Sure, the water gets a little bit cloudy. The water's tinted, it's turbid and sediment laden. Eventually it settles out. If you had planted grasses and plants during the dry period, which are able to tolerate submersion for some period of their life cycle, they'll actually hang on for a while until the waters recede, just like in nature. To replicate this process is really not difficult from a technical standpoint. In a lot of ways, it mimics the dry start method that many aquatic plant enthusiasts have been playing with for a long time. Except, of course, our goal isn't to start plants for a traditional aquarium. It's to replicate on some levels that year-round dynamic of the Amazonian forests. And we favor terrestrial plants and grasses grown from seed to start the cycle. So those of you who are ready to, you know, call BS on me and downplay the significance of experimenting with the stuff because it's been done for, you know, in dry start for years, take comfort in the fact that I recognize that and I acknowledge that we're taking a slightly different approach. It's not the same thing. Now, you need to create a technical means or a set of procedures to gradually flood your rainforest floor in your tank, which can be accomplished manually by simply pouring water into the vivarium or terrarium, whatever you want to call it, over a series of days. Or if you want to get fancy, you can do it automatically with solenoids controlling valves from a reservoir beneath the setup, perhaps employing those rain heads that frog and hurt people use. This is all very achievable, even for hobbyists like me with very limited DIY skills. There's a lot of readily adaptable equipment if you want to go that route. You just have to innovate a little bit and be willing to do some busy work. You can keep it incredibly simple. Just utilize a small tank, pour water in gradually. One thing you have to be is patient. You can certainly purchase an off-the-shelf product like a Biopod if you want to drop a lot of money. Um, those are neat, interesting products. 
uh, or some of the more re- uh, you know ready to, to run vivarium products that are out there. That's a possibility. Think about the possibilities with this stuff. It's not just unique aesthetics either. I mean, as your display floods, the materials in the formerly terrestrial environment become submerged, just like in nature, releasing all those nutrients, the humic substances and the tannins, and it creates that rich, dynamic habitat for fishes that you see in nature. Again, we have the opportunity to recreate aspects of this dynamic in both form and function now. It's kind of exciting. And I think recreating a what I would like to call a 365 dynamic, in other words, a year-round dynamic in an aquatic feature would perhaps be the ultimate expression of a functional biotope-inspired aquarium, you know, mimicking that composition, the aesthetics, and the ecological-biological balance um, found in the natural habitat, a truly realistic representation on a level that we've not previously embraced. Now, look, I have no illusions about this being rather slow, perhaps even labor-intensive, but it's not necessary to make it complicated or difficult either. It does require some active management, some planning, and some diligence. But on the surface, executing this seems no more difficult than with some of the other aquatic systems we dabble with, like reef tanks or vivariums or planted aquariums or whatever. Sure, you'd have to make some provisions for maybe relocating the terrestrial inhabitants of your system, if you're keeping frogs or other herbs in there, to higher ground, like another vivarium, during the wet season. Or you can create a paludurium-type setup with both a terrestrial and aquatic component simultaneously. It's up to you. As mentioned above, you'll have to deal with some aesthetic challenges, the likes of which you probably haven't before as you flood that system. Again, the turbidity, the cloudiness of the water, the biofilms, you know, decomposition, deeply tannin-stained water, some of that stuff that, you know, us who keep botanical-style aquariums already are pretty well trained to accept and embrace. I suppose one could even represent various phases of the inundation, as I did in one of my latest aquariums, Um, It's not really everyone's cup of tea, but it looks and probably functions remarkably similar to what you see in nature during the latter part of the inundation cycle, where the plants and vegetation are largely dormant and only a little bit of lingering turbidity and a smattering of living vegetation remains. It's kind of a neat look. Possibilities for education, creative expression, and experimentation are really wide open here. And of course, you're not limited to the agapo, so blooded flack, the flooded blackwater forests, or the varzea, which is a whitewater flooded forest of South America. There's all kinds of other habitats from around the world that you can you know, replicate on some level using this approach. Uh, you could mimic that, uh, habitats found in Africa and Southeast Asia, for example. Uh, annual killifish would be another beneficiary of such a process when you think about it. You could literally desiccate their environment for the dry season and flood it once again when the rainy season returns. We kind of do it already with the old peat moss and a bag trick to incubate the eggs. This is just a more interesting and probably a little bit less um, efficient way to do it, but one which might yield some interesting insights into their natural habitats, or, you know, not just the habitats, but their behaviors in the habitats. There's so many possibilities here. It could literally create an entirely new sub-hobby within the aquatic hobby, not just biotope replication, but biotope operation. So that idea of a 365 dynamic aquatic display, what I've called jokingly or only half-jokingly the urban agapo, it's never been more approachable. And you can, as the name implies, recreate it in the comfort of your own living room. I'm just going to stop here because I can go on and on and on and do this. But think about this. Think about the simple idea. Build it. Play with it learn from it and share it stay fascinated stay creative stay excited stay imaginative stay observant stay patient stay open-minded always and always stay wet till next time i'm scott Feldman, hoping your tanks stay clean and tinted we'll talk to you real soon
Thank you.